Hi, everyone. This is Barack Lurie, and this is The Barack Lurie Show. Ah, scratch that. Hi, everyone. This is Barack Lurie, and this is The Barack Lurie Podcast with me, as, uh, as always, my friend and producer, Ari David. Always a pleasure. And just so you know, The Barack Lurie Show should be called The Barack Lurie Program. My own show is called a show, but I was realizing it's a tell, not a show. There's nothing to show on the audio version of entertainment. You know what? That's 15 seconds of my life I will never have again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Gee. <laughs> what are you, a liberal? <laughs> Mr. Semantics all of a sudden. <laughs> Jeez Louise. This is, this is what we talk off the air, but somehow the recording is still going on. All right, Ari. Your point, well taken but meaningless at the same time. <laughs> so anyway, today we, are, we, we, got, we have so many things to talk about. And the, the big elephant in the room, and I think we need to talk about this first, is um, Obama goes on this, um, well, he goes to the mic and uh, this past Thursday. The press conference. The press conference, yeah, with that tan jacket. I don't know. He was trying to make a fashion statement, but that's uh, for, the, for the fashionistas to talk about uh, later on. But I couldn't give a crap about that. <laughs> what I do give a crap about is what he actually said. And there was this a little snippet, and I remember hearing this. I, I heard it live, the whole thing. I didn't, I, it was not yet. Uh, digested by the news media, his comment that, quote, we have no strategy yet, unquote, right? But I remember him saying that, and I, I, I said, did he really say that? And for clarification, you mean no strategy yet for the ISIS Yes, thank you for giving... Yeah. Not, um, yeah, we should, Obamacare. We, right, right. We really should give this context. He was, he was talking in the context of uh, the ISIS uh, situation in the Middle East, uh, if you like the ISIS crisis, but it's a uh, it's a bad bad situation, and he was responding to uh, what shall we do about it? And among other things, he said, uh, "We have no strategy yet." And I just I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And now, in, in fairness to him, there was a lot of context, and he wanted to say uh, that they are talking about it. And he didn't he didn't say that in a vacuum, right? He didn't say. Um, and as far as ISIS was concerned, we have no strategy yet. And now let me move on to the next topic. He didn't say that. I, you know, let's be very fair here. On the other hand, saying we have no strategy yet in any context vis-a-vis uh, the, the Arab world and ISIS, at least for certain, uh, is so bizarre, such an unusually crazy statement to say. Do you remember whether or not that was part of his, his um, prepared comments or was it part of the question and answer period? I think it was part of the question and answer period, which Me too. explains why his handlers never let him go off a teleprompter. Because when yeah. he starts improvising on trumpet like Miles Davis, it's not good music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Miles Davis. Yeah, I wish. Uh, you know, jazz blues exploration. I know, yeah. <laughs> exploration. It's very funny. Um, I think it was the question and answer period. But maybe, you know, as they say, in vino veritas, right? In wine, there is truth. And certainly if he had, the, as part of his prepared remarks, that would be just devastation. I just can't imagine. Then then we really have an issue. So let's assume that for the sake of discussion, I think it's a fair assumption that it was part of the question and answer give and take. And he says, uh, we, we have no strategy yet. And that what he really meant, as so many of my liberal friends have, have said, is that, you know, uh, we, we just I have not yet received a, a strategy from the Pentagon yet. Uh, my people have not told me what to, what to think yet, <laughs> whatever it might be. Let's assume that for the sake of discussion. I think 
as much as I'm disappointed with Obama, as much as I don't think that Obama is, a, is an effective president, I think he's smart enough to realize that when you say we have no strategy yet, that it's going to be seized upon dramatically. I mean, even a, a 10-year-old would be cautious about saying that phrase. Right like when playing cowboys and Indians, or yeah, uh, we have Native no... Americans and uh, cattle abusers, or whatever they call it. That <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Native Americans and cowboy abusers. Uh, you, you got the idea. It's 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 an unusual choice of phrasing that uh, seems to have come out of nowhere. And Ari, I think you're going to like what I'm about to say. I think it was intentional. Yes, finally. <laughs> it's been two years. He's looking at his watch. Two years, one month we've been doing this, and finally he believes no, it's I, intentional. I, I, think, I think that phrasing was intentional. And because it was so, it would otherwise be so stupid that I, I, I don't think he's particularly bright, this president, but I have to give him some props for having um, gotten into Harvard Law School. I mean, it's something, something to do with that. He, he's... He's definitely articulate. He seems to be able to command some of the issues most of the time. So no one calls him a dummy. I, I don't think he's experienced. I think he's naive and all those things that we've talked about before. But he's no dummy. Okay? He's no... Uh, you know, frankly, I don't think any president has been a, a true dummy by any stretch of the imagination. You, you can't be president without being reasonably smart. So I, I always demur to anybody saying that any president, Democrat or Republican, is a dummy. But here he says this phrase. So knowing that he's not a dummy, and he says this phrase, we have no strategy yet, knowing that the Muslim world, in fact, the entire world, is watching, listening very careful to what he's saying now about, about uh, ISIS, uh, that he's going to make a very important statement about ISIS, and then subsequently about Ukraine, of course, right? Um, and then he says, we have no strategy yet. Why the frig would you say that. You, you must know that they are watching. They are hearing every word that you're saying. This is a highly connected world we live in now, where apparently you can also see your enemies beheading your, your own people, right? And this is what they want you to see on Facebook and otherwise, right? And the, you know, the Nazis, even if they wanted you to see what they're doing, it, it, would, it would take many months before they could ship it off and mail it off to the various countries that they wanted to see. It takes several days to develop the photos. Just to develop the photos, exactly right. Now you can show it instantaneously. So they, they, are, they are highly connected, the bad guys, and, of course, they're using our own technology against us. But we are also connected. Um, Obama knows that he's being watched by millions, if not billions, of people on the planet while he's speaking. And for him to say, we have no strategy yet... I, I mean, I, I hate to say it. I mean, I just, I can't. Why do you hate to say it? Wait, wait, hold on. Because I don't want to think my own president is, is trying to undermine the country. That's why. Nobody wants to, to believe that. So I'm still kicking and screaming as I, as I, as much as I don't like the Democrats, as much as I think that they're ruined. stop I, resisting me <laughs> as I drag you over into the pit of hell? Well, it is hell. That yes. should not be, that should not be where we, we are living. I want to think, and I do, and, and I think I am accurate when I'm saying the Democratic Party, the, the, the vast majority of them, are wildly misguided and naive. And they, despite their good intentions, are leading this country 
to a very bad place. And, and that's, that's the way I feel about the Democrats, right? But there are some Democrats, very bad guys, who are part of the Democratic Party, uh, who see the Democratic Party as a vehicle by which to do very bad things, right? And they'll tell um, uh, the Democrats that their platform is consistent with theirs. Uh, but that's why we get a lot of the, the anti-Israel crowd, for example, every one of them, uh, well, 99.9% of them are on the Democratic Party, right? They, they see that as a vehicle by which to advance their rotten agenda. That's what they do. So the question is, why did Obama say this? I mean, we're all talking about, you know, on the Twitterverse and Facebook and everywhere else that's, that's talking about this issue. Um, and I'm sure somebody else has said this. I, I'm sure I'm not the first one to say it, but I, I haven't read it. Uh, but everyone's talking about, wow, you know, he has no strategy and he, um, he's revealing he has no strategy and we, we all knew it. This was a slip of the tongue and, you know, a Freudian slip, as they say, and, and it really reveals this. And he should have been more smart about the way he said that he's not, he doesn't have anything. But I think it makes us all wonder. Not only does he, does he have a strategy, which he doesn't, that's plain as day, but maybe he wanted everyone to know that he did not have a strategy. That's the question I pose today. Did he want us, no, correction, did he want everyone to know that he did not have a strategy? That's what I wonder, because it was so brazen, it was so idiotic, a statement, and, and simply so idiotic that I can't believe he actually let it be said. Well, what if he has a strategy that he can't say what the strategy is, because his strategy that he does have is so much worse than if he didn't have a strategy. Okay. That's what I think. I think the, his strategy is what you're saying on the ground. He wants these guys to win. It, it, right. It's no, plain I, as day to me. Now, we don't agree entirely on that because I'm right and you're wrong. But. <laughs> All right, but I'll talk. Uh, let me. You can't come to the mic and say, my strategy, go on his plan. They're winning. Let me, let, me, let me address exactly that point. As you know, I like to say, I don't like to agree with you yet on that, but. You will someday, just so you know. I don't like to agree with you on that yet, but I will say, and I have said before, almost all of his actions are consistent with somebody who would like to undermine the country. Okay, so there's a difference. And as we, as we learn in law school, uh, there's a difference between uh, being stepped over and being kicked, right? And they usually refer to being a, a dog. Even a dog knows the difference between being stepped over and being kicked. The impact may be the same but they still know the intent. And the question here is, did Obama intend to tell the world, to, to telegraph to the bad guys, we ain't got no strategy yet, okay? One thing I can tell you is that the ISIS bad guys are very happy about that. And they are applauding and they're saying that the president has no strategy. He has, certainly has no guts for to go forward. He has no plan whatsoever. He has no backbone. And now we, we learn he actually has no strategy at all. He's revealing it. Now, here's the best you could, the very best light you could put on this, Ari, is to say this was a great fake by Obama. That, in fact, he does have a fantastic strategy. But he's letting on as though they, they don't know what they're doing. And, um, but, in fact, just you wait. Some great strategy is about to happen. That's the best argument that the pro-Obama supporter has right now. 
I don't uh, think that that is a good argument, but I think that's their best argument right now. Yeah. Well, I, I think the we don't have strategy or a strategy comment was not meant for ISIS consumption. That was entirely meant for domestic consumption, and this is why and this is how. Go uh, on. Uh, tell me. Yesterday, Obama and Biden made speeches. Biden used the following racist terminology. Take back, take back the country. We're going to take back the country. The question is, of course, from whom? You're in power. Right. right? <laughs> That's right. Obama made a speech. Oh, Biden. <laughs> Whatever will we do with you? I'm going to be sad when he's gone. He's a gift that gives perpetually. Obama gives a speech in Wisconsin to a labor group in which he's talking about, you know, he's, he's doing one of those class warfare, let's pivot to the economy song and dances, where he's essentially blaming everyone in the country for this conspiracy that is making everyone miserable, other than himself. And Rush Limbaugh calls it the Obama the Obama uh, doctrine or something like that, which basically means Obama can never be seen as leading. He has to perpetually and permanently campaign against those in power in order to retain power. And so my opinion is the we don't have no strategy comment was meant for domestic consumption of the low-info voter base that votes for him, again saying, hey, I have no control here. I don't know what's going on. This is all George Bush's fault. We talked about that with the ISIL versus ISIS acronym difference. Yes, And yes. all those sort of implied things. Yeah. By saying we don't have a strategy, it's, well, not my fault. I don't know what's going on here. I didn't have anything to do with that. I, where is this place? <laughs> I think Ari's gone off the rails a little bit here. <laughs> no, I... I there's there's a lot of wisdom to what you say. Um, it's a very strange time, and and as we said a long time ago, in, in I think thirty or forty podcasts ago, um, we will find out exactly what was in Obama's mind by one young man's well, not so young man's uh, voice, and his name is Barack Obama. He will tell us. Because he is so narcissistic, he think he, he truly thinks the world revolves around him, and I and I knew that the moment that I saw him deliver that iPod, and back then it was just an iPod, not an iPhone. He delivered the iPod to the Queen of England, containing only his speeches, and I thought, wow, what audacity! Talk about the audacity of hope. It's not even audacity of hope. It's the audacity of, of Obama. Period. He just, he thinks the world is centered around him. And so we will find out exactly what he's thinking once he leaves office. And, uh, and he will try to be the, uh, the elder statesman at that point, of course, and he'll give speeches and he'll, he'll, he'll give us the what for. Yeah, just like Jimmy Carter is today. Absolutely. If you notice what was going on in well, Jimmy wait, wait, Carter's wait. head in 79, I, I got you. coming out now. I know, I got you. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But even more so than Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter... You know, for, for all his craziness and his anti-Semitism and such, he's simply trying to rehabilitate a very negative impression of his presidency that the world has, correctly has, of him, right? Obama's different. It's, uh, it, it is a bad presidency. There's no doubt about that. And he's presiding over the worst recession recovery uh, in, in American history. Fine. He can take credit for that all, all day long. But... He also, he, Obama, um, really loves himself. He thinks that the world can't wait to hear what he has to say. 
and he just you won't be able to stop him. He's going to just write book after book after book. Okay, Jimmy Carter, he was just trying to rehabilitate himself. He's saying, look, you know, please listen to my story, my version of events. That's all he's doing. And to the, to the extent that he can rehabilitate himself by hating Israel, okay, well, that's his, it's a stupid tactic. It's a stupid approach, but that's his only approach, I guess. So he's a loser. But Obama will do it. Uh, he's going to say, this is what I was thinking. He, he, he's just like all those, you know, the dastardly evil villains from all those movies who, uh, who get uh, caught in their own, um, their own shenanigans because um, the good guy, you know, gets them to reveal what his true plot is, right? <laughs> Not like the James Bond movies, but all the kind of sillier no, movies. No, you're talking about an episode of Scooby-Doo. Yeah, yeah. If, if this is what I was going to do. Kids, yeah, uh, this, this would have worked. Yeah. Well, no, he'll say that about the Republicans, too. You know, the Republicans will be those damn kids uh, that, 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 that foiled him. No, but he'll say, um, and here's my, here was my incredible plan. And, and I did it, or I didn't do it because uh, here are the things that got in my way. But uh, he, he will definitely portray himself as a, as a genius in, in the whole process. And he, and he thinks that people actually believe him. That's the amazing thing. So, of course, he so, believes him. So, so no, this, this part, we have no strategy yet, will be, if not a chapter in his book, it'll be a, uh, you know, a, a subchapter within a chapter. Hell, that okay. could be the title. <laughs> well, that's that's what it should. That should be at least a subtitle. Uh, but if Dinesh D'Souza writes it, then then yes, maybe that that'll be the title of the movie. Um, we have if no such yet. He loves himself so much, his, and he thinks he's so smart. His attitude is, well, I believe it. Of course, everyone's going to believe it. Yes, uh, yes, I don't see through my own lies. I believe everything I say. Sure, sure. He he sees, he sees. He really believes that the Republicans, for example, who are stopping him at every turn, quote unquote. That, that that's our goal. To we were just stopping him for the sake of stopping him because the, you know his ideas are so good. You understand. We must stop him because if if he actually goes forth with his brilliant plans, well then good things will happen to the country, and you know we'll never be elected again because it's all about power and money in the Republican Party and greed and such. So that he really believes that we believe it. That that's our that's our mission is to is to foil his. Excellent ideas. That's, Maybe that's we're fine. stupid for trying to foil them. We should just say, go right ahead, do whatever you want, and in eight years, say to the country, see, do you want more of that? Yeah, we, we, well, we do have a little bit of that with uh, Common Core, for one thing, uh, Obamacare uh, as an, another obvious example, the heavy uh, regulatory burdens, and so many other things he's done from a foreign policy point of view, pulling out of Iraq, and he's going to be pulling out of Afghanistan. And what he did with Guantanamo and, and the inviting you know, Russia into wherever they want to go. Yeah. So yeah. We're, we're seeing all that anyway. So he's he, he managed to, to ramrod the Obamacare thing, thankfully without a single Republican vote, because we don't have our fingerprints on that whatsoever. Uh, and and we will be able to say, look what happened. You know, do you want this? We, we should have been able to defeat him, but apparently we, we need eight years by which to turn back and, and say, boy, these past four years were even worse than the first four years. Yeah, well, That's what's going to happen in, 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 uh, upon review and reflection on the Obama administration. And we have two and a half more years with this guy. Yeah. That's, that's the shock. Uh, when, uh, you know, I've said before on, on your show that, um, podcast, mm. uh, that one of the reasons that Carter only survived one term is because the country was not in as strong a position in 1976 and 1980 and could only 
after four years of Jimmy Carter, the pain was absolutely enormous. Because Reagan was so great for those eight years and left the country in such a powerful, amazing first world position, we had 20 some odd years of such amazing prosperity uh, that have, had made us so resilient to uh, little colds and flus that it's going to take eight years of Obama to put the country in a place that Carter did in four. Right. You know, to the point where enough people notice. Right. If, if, if you believe, as I do, and I think you do, that there is a lot of the things that we have happening in the world, uh, there's, there's some divine involvement from time to time. I, I think that the God would not let America devolve so badly into chaos through this president. Or maybe he would. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we've lost our way so much that he'd be willing to let this whole country decay. I don't know. But, but for those of you who are, who are believers, uh, believers in, in, in Jesus or God, uh, I, I would like to ask you to tell me what your thoughts are. I, I really was disturbed when, when Obama became reelected. And the only way that I could reconcile this was, you know, it's one of two ways. You know, that's just the way God is. You know, we, we just have to take our own lumps. And this is a free world uh, existence. And we have to deal with things as they come. And uh, we have to fight back harder, I suppose. Or in the alternative to say, maybe God's big plan here is that it's not enough to go these past four years. We need eight years of this madness so that we can really see how bad the notion of liberalism is, godlessness is, because that's what Obama offers. True godlessness, true liberalism, and we are now seeing such stark contrasts between uh, evil and good in a way that we've never seen since the Nazi era, right? I mean, I mean, one of my liberal calls called in and, or sorry, emailed and said, how can you make this distinction between, how can you make a corollary between ISIS on the one hand uh, and Nazis on the other, that they're one of the same? Please, Barack, this is not, not at all the same thing. The Nazis were far more organized, far more powerful, far, far more prolific, and, and, and in, in a horrific way, certainly. But ISIS, pff, please, these people, yes, it's, it's ugly to see what they're doing, but you know, they, they don't have the same manpower and abilities as, as the Nazis did. To which I say, really? Really? I mean, look, the Nazis, they, they seemed to grow overnight when they came on the scene. They were a small JV team, to use Obama's own phrase, uh, a long time ago in the, in the 30s. In the early 30s, they, they were just papooed as silly people that were nutcases. Runs in the beer gardens. That's what they were. And, and then, of course, they grew so quickly that uh, by the time the end of the war rolled around, we had D-Day was a serious question mark. It was the biggest invasion in military history, and we still had no idea whether or not we would actually win that battle or that war. That's how bad it had gotten with one country and two, you know, in the middle of two fronts, Russia being one of them and, and uh, the Americans and England being the other. That's how incredibly crazy it was. So don't tell me for a moment that uh, this is nothing compared to the Nazis. It's very similar to the Nazis and in many ways worse than the Nazis. As I said in my radio show, you know, when it came to, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, appeasement, right? 
back then, appeasement was something called Czechoslovakia, right? Here, it was a distinct area of land. You let Hitler have um, Czechoslovakia, and maybe he'll leave us alone. That was the theory. It was a stupid theory, of course, but nevertheless, it was just this area called Czechoslovakia. But this is different. The appeasement that ISIS wants, that the Muslims want, is all around us. It, they want us to change our very language. They want us to refer to God as Allah. They want us to stop uh, making advertising for pork. They want us to uh, talk about how Islam is, is, a, is a language of peace. They want us to consider the possibilities of Sharia being a perfectly valid government structure. They want to cover our mothers and sisters and daughters from head to toe. Right, because it offends, because it offends them. Right. In, in our own countries, in England and France and, and, and America for that matter. And that's coming soon. And they want us to renounce all of our faiths or convert to theirs. Right. And, and that's not a distinct area of, of land called Czechoslovakia. That's all over. It's, it's right next door. And you make such so, a powerful point because this is, they're worse than the Nazis. The Nazis' stated goal, original stated goal, was some weird eugenic kind of racist theory that had this idea that humanity will be best served if every human being returns to the place of origin by their, of their race. So the Middle Easterners return to the Middle East, the Germans return to Germany, etc., etc. It was never convert or die. The Nazis did not care who converted to Nazism. If right. they did, welcome to the club, but right. go stay over there, please. Right, they would be more like the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was uh, more than happy to accept uh, all races of all kinds. Just what they, what they did want you to do is embrace their, their gods and their way of life. I'm not saying that uh, it was all uh, peaches and cream with the Roman Empire, but nevertheless, there was not a wholesale attempt to slaughter anybody who did not look like them and so on. And they want, and uh, from what I understand about them, in many cases, they'd be happy with tributes and taxes and organization and removal of the plague from your land and, you know, Romanizing the... Romanized. Pax, is it was called Pax Romana. Yes. Uh, Romana. Um, so the Nazis, you know, they were, they were vicious and discriminatory based upon what your race was. And the ISIS monsters are discriminatory and vicious depending on what your belief is. So, so long as you and I convert to Islam, their particular version, their particular version of it, and we do it just the way they want us to do it, and which also means, by the way, that we would have to go about and kill important people in our own lives to prove that uh, that we are in fact honest in our conversion. And so, it's you know what the mafia would do, yeah. right, in the old days. Um, so this is this is the way it is with ISIS. Now, I, I do think that the analogy to Nazism is a, a very good analogy. It may be even worse. I heard just the other day about how, and we really need to go back to the strategy argument, but I did hear about how one commentator said, you know what, this will all die out. It's terrible. It may take a couple of years before it dies out. But nevertheless, it'll die out because nobody can sustain this this ideology of hate so much. It's so vicious that they can't can't sustain it. Who made that an environmentalist with the no? It was argument. No, it was it was some Democrat uh, politician who who spoke like this, and he and he spoke very logically, but of course very I think very naively. Um, it, it's it's a name because you can make the same argument with Japan. You can make the same argument with North Korea today. 
Japan of history, of course. You can make the same argument with Germany of history. What about Cuba? That thing's lastened yeah. since 1959. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah, exactly. Right. It just survives and survives. But, but Germany was, was engaging horrific stuff all the time, and um, it seemed to keep on going, and the reason why they lost. You know, they, they lost as much for their own mistakes as, as our efforts to, to trip them up. And, you know, and, and, and by the way, had, had Germany been a little smarter during the war and simply said, okay, well, Czechoslovakia is enough land for us, for example, or even just stopped at Poland, uh, they would have been uh, a, a very strong superpower. They would have had this detente with both Russia and the West. They would have absorbed France. I'm not saying I, I would encourage it, but that's where the... the the success would have been yeah, for them. They, they were stupid they for not to. If they slow-walked it, they might be around today, God forbid. That's right. The, the other... Well, wait, 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 hang on. Oh, okay. So the other part of it is that it's... Uh, they fail to see that this is exactly uh, what you can make the same argument with the Nazis, with the Japanese, with the North Koreans, with the, with the, the, the Russians, any dictator, for, for, for that matter. You know, it's the famous placard that you and I keep on talking about. Um, that I saw at one pro-Palestinian and pro-Hamas rally, which is to hell with your freedom. I never forget that. Just please, my dear listener, never forget that placard. To hell with your freedom. You and I think that they want freedom the way that we like freedom. Either they have a very different version of what freedom is or they really don't want freedom. They, They think freedom means nothing. They want Sharia law. They want the next caliphate, whatever that, whatever the hell that means, uh, and their version of the caliphate, no less. This is what they want. Okay, so accept that. And uh, people don't see the same monstrous ideology and decide that uh, they they'll, they won't have any more of that. It's not as if the Russians uh, during the Soviet Union uh, went about and decided to have a, a sudden revolution against the communists. No, they didn't do that. The reason why Russia collapsed is because of, of a man named Ronald Reagan, who outspent them militarily. That's what happened. And then they, they, the guards literally couldn't be paid anymore. It was, it was the end of the, the, the Soviet Union simply because of that. So don't tell me for a moment that it, it'll just die of its own accord, of its own viciousness. Yeah, like not, a weed, it has to be killed. Yeah, it will and, not and, die on its own. Yeah, and, if, and if, even if the Soviet Union did die on its own, which you could say because economically and all that stuff. All right, that took 70-plus years. 70-plus years. I'm not willing to live with ISIS for 70 years and then say, well, see, I told you, it would die of its own accord. Yeah, like from The Simpsons. Woo, glad that's over. <laughs> that's but, right. But I, I think your main point of this was the idea that someone brought up that it would be preposterous to make an analog between the Nazis and ISIS. I think a very important question when asked, answers that, of course, they're the same, which is this. What would ISIS look like if you gave them the same equipment and organization as the Nazis had at their disposal? And what I mean by that is train tracks, trains, death camps, and a gigantic army. What would that look like? And I'd say it would look worse than Nazi Germany. Right. I, I You know, my, my brother once did a... Um, he, was, he was about to do a, a series on... Um, the Comanche Indians, uh, but the Wild West and such, and it was uh, it was actually a very good look into the, the 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 Wild West as it really was, right? And you know, my brother says something very funny. He said, "Wow, I'm just looking at some of the stuff that the Comanches did. Not all Comanches, of course, but uh, some of them did some pretty vicious things." And he he said, "You know, 
you know, Baraka, if the Nazis were around at the same time and they saw what the Comanches were doing, they would, they would turn to the Comanches and say, hey, man, not cool. <laughs> I mean, the Nazis of all, of all people. And likewise, I think the, the Nazis today would look at uh, what ISIS is doing and say, whoa, not cool. And I, I would dare say that the stuff that ISIS, that we are seeing ISIS do today is worse than anything that has ever done in the, ever been done in the history of torture on the planet. Well, the only thing that I think comes close is uh, Pol Pot's killing fields. But Pol Pot and the Nazis, you know how you said the, a minute ago, the hey man, not cool? The reason the Nazis most uh, obviously would say hey man, not cool is they'd say to ISIS, what are you doing? Don't let people know what you're doing. We did everything we could to hide the death camps. Oh, I see. We did everything to destroy the evidence when yeah. the Russians and the Americans got No, they we, actually, they, we, I, I demur, they, they actually filmed it um, and they wanted the world to see what it was. They wanted to talk Eisenhower about... Eisenhower took the pictures. No, no, no. No, they took it before. They actually showed films of, of them putting them into the oven. Eisenhower wasn't taking pictures of uh, or filming uh, uh, Germans putting uh, Jews into the ovens. They were taking it themselves, and they, there was a specific reason that why they were doing it. They wanted to show, because they knew at some point that uh, they that there would be a Third Reich and there would be no more Jews, and they were they were going to show their future posterity that what uh, happened to the evil what Jews happened to the evil Jews. Jews. Yeah, these were an inferior people, and we had to take care of business. But they weren't publicizing those movies. They weren't sending them off. Right, not in real time. That's true. Yeah, like these guys are showing it. But that's my point. You know how people seem to be even more brazen as soon as the cameras come to them, right? You see this, of course, in terms of protests and such. As soon as the protesters know that you're actually filming them, they get more uh, aggressive, more uh, verbose, more whatever, okay? Or even the idiot at the ball game when the camera goes on them and they Good example. the girl next to them. Right, they get a little bit more evocative. Now, and I'll take you one step further now. Sexuality. Um, when the camera goes uh, along the way and you see um, uh, some girls and they say, hey, take off, take off your top. They'll take off their top because the camera is, is there. They may not even take it off if, if they know there's nobody else around. It's a bizarre mentality. It's, it's this uh, exhibitionist sort of quality to it. Okay? So, uh, and then, it, then I'm going to take it up a notch. Um, and, and then somehow uh, when it comes to pornography... People get even more um, more wild about the stuff that they do in bed, as if to show like uh, th- th- this is a moment. A porn star really likes being a porn star. Uh, it's not just so much that she wants to have a good time; she really wants to show that she's having a good time because she knows this. A lot of people are watching, and they'll. Be, we talked about this before in a different podcast. They judge each other by how many views they get, how many hits they get on uh, this or that website. And I, I'm, I've learned so much about the porn industry because of the whole condom law. It's, it's fascinating. But that's another story. And, and they almost don't really care about the money. about getting. I mean, yeah, they'll take the money, of course. But they want to be able to say, look, I've got a 95% like rate. And I've got 10 million views. Yeah. Can you say the same thing, Sally? It's no. the rush, not the it's reward the rush. or even the orgasm. Right. They'll do more crazy things in that moment because they're, because they're being filmed, because they want to make it look good, right? Now, we'll take it up a notch even further. And that's by a group known as ISIS. 
they are filming the beheading of people, the chopping off of arms, the, the, the live burials of people, precisely because they want to alarm people and to show how violent and how vicious they can be. They are taking it up that notch, just like the porn star I was just telling you about. They feel more, it's exhibitionist in its quality. When, when the bad guys did torture in the medieval days, they, they, they might do torture. They may not even like it necessarily, but they were doing it because their leaders told them to do so. And if they did like it, well, it's not because they, there were cameras at play because there were no such things as cameras, nor were there reporters kind of writing down what they were seeing. It was just doing the torture as bad as it was, as evil as it was. These guys are really trying to maximize the exposure. These, these guys are doing it because the cameras are rolling. They want you to see a little child being severed in half with some sort of saber knife. They want to see a child's hand being cut off just because. Somebody being beheaded because for whatever reason. You don't even know. Some, some woman being stoned because she allegedly committed adultery. Whatever that means in the Muslim world. That, that is what's going on. And the Nazis, even though they filmed the things that they, they filmed that we just described, they weren't doing it for the for the thrill of it. They were doing it for historical reasons. I'm not saying, I'm not justifying it. It's obviously horrific in its own way. But these guys are purposely taking it up a notch to see how much worse it can be precisely because people are watching on Facebook and Twitter, you name it. What do you think about that? I think you're absolutely right. And there's also one other thing, which is this. The Nazis had a disadvantage, which was an enemy that was not handcuffed by political correctness. It was a better generation, and people had a sense of decorum and a sense of shame and a sense of uh, humility. But we had soldiers that were not limited in their um, uh, rules of combat, that they couldn't do this or that because of political correctness reasons, and we did not, they did not have an enemy that would hesitate to shoot them right in the head and send the head on a spike back to them to show them, we can be vicious to you too. The ultimate weakness that we have in the West is that as an aggregate societies of the West, all of Western Europe, all of America, is that there's no one here willing to behead a member of ISIS and to send their head in a box back to them because we know we'd be arrested by our own authorities. That's exactly right. And imagine if we made a video of that, you know, one of those videos that Hillary Clinton so blames for the Benghazi attack. And we said to the authorities, but we're doing it to intimidate ISIS. They would arrest us and give us the death, the death penalty. And, and well, they should, most likely. But the, the fact that our society is so afraid to fight back on the terms, on the, on the moral congruence of the enemy, is viewed as nothing but weakness by this enemy. You know that the artist Jackson uh, Pollock, yeah. Pollock, 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 Jackson Pollock, um, you know, He's one of he's, he's such a good example of abstract arts, modern modern artists from today. Uh, I you and I believe that modern art art is just for the uh, the greatest part complete crap, right? It means nothing. But I bring him up because most of his work I consider to be complete crap as well. I say that I don't care if I'm offending you. If you believe that it's great art, by all means, tell me why I'm wrong. 
it, it, there's no standard that's applicable. There's nothing that applies. Do you know where I'm going with this, Ari? Because I'm going to explain right yeah, now. Yeah, because it's, it means nothing. That's right. And the ISIS, nihilism of meaning nothing. Right. That's right. ISIS is becoming the Jackson Pollock, Pollock. Pollock of, of uh, the, the, the war world. There was, in the old days, there were standards when you fought war. There was the Geneva Convention, which you know, more or less was observed even among the, the Germans. And there was a sense of, you know, here are the prisoners, and this is what you would do with the prisoners, and you, you feed them three square meals a day, and you don't torture them. And, but, you know, and, and that was kind of breached significantly during the, the era of Vietnam. But Vietnam was nothing compared to what these guys are doing. It's as if, you know, you, your phrase, I liked it so much, your phrase, we're so handcuffed by political correctness. I like that phrase a lot. And in many ways, I, I, it's an unmooring of everything, right? The art world is, has become unmoored in terms of its standards. There's, there's no standards. You could, you could you know, engage in you know, feces dumping it's and put anti, it on a... It's put, put, anti-standards. That's right. The worse it is, the more it's allotted. Right. So you could, you, could, you could literally put feces on a plate and say, isn't this great art? And somebody out there, some idiot out there, will pay a million, if not more, for this great art. I call it dinner. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. Yeah, it's, it'll be in French. As long as you yeah. put it in French underneath, uh, je l'appelle le dîner. Okay? So uh, then it becomes truly art. So uh, that's the society we live in. And it's an unmooring of standards, right? Like we said, there's nothing. And there's nothing holding back these guys. And you just think to yourself, what's next? What are these monsters going to do next? And then, of course, horrible things come in your mind, right? Involving castration and eyeballs and all the terrible things you can possibly imagine in your head. That's what they're doing over and over again. I've never seen anything like it. You've never seen anything like it. And we're going to continue seeing something like this for a long, long time to come. And unfortunately... Um, unlike what that commentator believes, uh, this will not go and uh, get lost of its own accord. Why? Because we live in a completely standardless and rudderless politically correct world. To the point where Obama has no strategy yet. That's right. And that's where we need to come back to, the strategy itself. Yeah, how do you not have a strategy that's for right. those guys? We'll talk about the complete unmooring of everything. And the unmooring... Uh, is the, not having a strategy is the ultimate unmooring, isn't it? You have no sense of where you're going, uh, what, is, what, what is needed in order to accomplish your, your most basic task as commander-in-chief, and that you actually think that somebody has to give you a strategy, and that contrary to having a strategy, you'd much rather be golfing, which ironically has its own rules <laughs> and standards, right? <laughs> anyway, folks... We live in a very dangerous time, and it ain't going away just because we think that it's so vicious that it must go away of its own accord. It won't. And we need a strategy. We need to attack, and we need to attack without being politically correct because that's the only way we're going to win. This is Brock Lurie. This has been the Brock Lurie Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.
Let's do it.